The Old Testament scripture reading for today is from Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. You find it in your Bibles on page 569. Let us listen. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading today is from the New Testament, and it is from Paul's letter to the Romans. And I mentioned last week that Romans is an unusual kind of letter. Uh, in fact, in many ways, it's not a, a letter at all. It's different from all of the other letters w- which Paul wrote in the first century A.D. We should probably think of Romans as a, a kind of, uh, here's what I believe, introduction. Uh, Paul had never met the people he was writing to, but he wanted them to know what he believed. He wanted them to know what his faith amounted to uh, before he came to them. So, uh, chapter 7 as we heard last week, uh, was about sin and the hopelessness of the human condition. And then chapter 8 begins to present the solution uh, or the, the hope we have. You know, there, there is a way out of our terrible situation. Uh, Romans chapter 8, let's, let's begin with the very first verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also 
through his spirit that dwells in you. This too is the word of the Lord. Friends of Jesus Christ, there is a book called uh, The Examined Life, and it was written by Robert Nozick, uh, who was a Harvard philosopher. He, he died in 2002, uh, but his book is still around, and uh, I remember picking it up one day. I cannot be trusted at a used book sale. Uh, maybe you know how this goes. I usually come home with lots of books that I don't have time to read, and, and so they, they sit there. But for some reason, I started to read this one, and I, I think it was the title, The Examined Life, that, that captured my attention, and I could not put it down. Uh, Nozick was writing in, in one chapter about the Holocaust. And for the record, between 1941 and 1945, six million Jews who were living in Europe, uh, two-thirds of the total number of Jews living in Europe at the time, were hunted down and uh, murdered. And for Nozick, as it was for many people, the Holocaust was a, uh, a turning point in history. Uh, more than a turning point, in fact, uh, Nozick, who is not a believer, compares the Holocaust uh, to the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. Something that altered the situation and, and the status of humanity. We, we are all stained, he writes as a result of, of what happened. Uh, I don't usually do this. I, uh, I don't usually read long uh, passages, but I want to read for you what Nozick writes. I believe, these are uh, Nozick's words, I believe the Holocaust is an event like the fall in the way traditional Christianity conceived it. Something that radically and drastically alters the situation and status of humanity. Mankind has fallen. And this, Nozick continues, it, it now would not be a special tragedy if humankind ended. If the human species were destroyed in atomic warfare or the earth passed through some special cloud that made it impossible uh, for the species to continue reproducing itself. I do not mean that humanity deserves this to happen. What I mean is that uh, humanity's loss would now be no special loss above and beyond losses to the individuals involved. Humanity, this is how Nozick concludes, humanity has lost its claim to continue. I want to come back to that in a moment. Uh, uh, last Sunday, uh, I announced that I would be preaching a, a very short uh, sermon series, just three sermons on, on uh, Romans 7 and 8. Uh, two chapters which I think are at the very center of the, the gospel message. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, uh, as an example, uh, thought that Romans... Uh, was so important that he challenged his congregation to uh, memorize the entire book. I mean, think of that. Uh, when was the last time you committed a single verse to memory? And, and Luther challenged his congregation to, to memorize this, this letter. Uh, I didn't challenge you last week to memorize Romans, but I said that these two chapters are the hinge uh, on which the entire gospel turns. And if you miss the, the message that we find here, then you have missed the entire point of the Christian message. So last week's message was about sin, and, and, and Paul concludes chapter 7 by saying, wretched man that I am, uh, who, who will save me from this body of death? And then I went on to talk about our sinful condition, and I said that we like to blame Satan for uh, tempting us and for planting 
uh, you know, thoughts in our minds, deceptive thoughts for twisting our thinking and for poking and probing our armor uh, for those vulnerable points. And, and then I said, you know, the, the real problem is not Satan. The real problem is ourselves, you and me. I mean, we are the ones who, who cannot and, and will never be able to live rightly and, and, and justly and, and morally. We, we are incapable on our own. So I went home last week feeling pretty good about what I had done. I don't always go home feeling good about my sermon, but last week I allowed myself to think that I had, I had gotten it right. I had chosen a summer Sunday, and, and it was a fairly hot one too last week, and I had talked about sin, and I had gotten away with it. <laughs> no one felt condemned, and, and no one felt ashamed. And, and no one, as far as I know, left feeling worse that day than, than they felt when they came in. And, and I think it's fair to say that if a preacher can uh, preach about sin on a hot uh, July morning and hold the attention of people for, I don't know, 20 to 25 minutes, that would be a pretty good thing. That, the, the degree of difficulty in that cannot be underestimated. Uh, but on Monday morning, something happened, and, and this is not uh, new behavior unfortunately, and I hate it when it happens, but I started to preach that sermon over again, and not out loud and not in front of a group of people, but I started going through it again, line by line. And, and I realized that I had not done so well after all. As a matter of fact, this may surprise you, I, I think I trivialized the, the awful situation that we are in. I, I trivialized sin. I, I don't think I said anything wrong, and I, I don't think I have to take anything back today, but I certainly did not capture the, the awfulness of our situation. Robert Nozick, a Harvard philosopher, not a believer as, as far as I know, gets it right. Humanity has lost its claim to continue. Right now we have the words to, to understand our situation. And the Apostle Paul would agree with, with that assessment. If we all disappeared tomorrow, as, as Nozick puts it, that would be justified. Because of what we have done. Because of what humanity has done. I sometimes like to read the, uh, the literature of addiction. And, and the reason I do that is that there's, there are so many parallels between that and, and the spiritual life. Uh, the, the 12-step program, uh, which was devised by a man named Bill Wilson and, and published in 1939, uh, around the time that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, was started, is close to a parallel of the, the Christian path. In fact, a long time ago, I preached a summer sermon series on, on the 12 steps, taking one step a week for uh, you know, 12 consecutive weeks. Well, as you might imagine, there are debates uh, uh, within the field of uh, addiction literature, lots of them, uh, controversies about how to understand and how to treat uh, addiction, and, and one of those debates is about hitting bottom. And, and, and whether or not every addict uh, has to hit bottom in order to, to be ready to get sober and to start the path to recovery. The, the conventional wisdom has always been that every addict, and, and no matter what the addiction happens to be, every addict, alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, gambling, sex, uh, you name it, every addict has to hit bottom in order to have a chance at sobriety and, and, and recovery. 
And then at some point, and I don't know when exactly this happened, but Alcoholics Anonymous adjusted its thinking slightly and, uh, on, on what bottom looks like. Well, some alcoholics, they said, uh, find their bottom higher than others. Some alcoholics have to, be, uh, have to become homeless and destitute and, and so on before they are willing to start the road to recovery, and, and others are known as high-bottom drunks. Uh, High-bottom high drunks don't have to lose their jobs and, and their relationships and, and their families, and, and they don't have to alienate all of their friends. Right? Those people can get sober too. And you won't be surprised to know that I find all of this interesting and I continue to wonder what it means for the Christian faith. How low do you have to go to want the offer of salvation that Christian faith has to offer? How bad does it have to get before Jesus starts to sound pretty good? A number of years ago, the denomination that I'm a part of began to offer evangelism seminars, evangelism training seminars, and so membership in the denomination was going down, and, and so out of desperation, I think, more than a desire to share the gospel, uh, everyone was suddenly talking about the importance of evangelism, and uh, of sharing the faith, and, and being intentional about it. And, and one of the seminars I attended uh, was called Friendship Evangelism, and I think that sounded good to me, so I went, and I took several members of the church uh, with me. And we learned that when people hit bottom in their lives, when they experience a crisis of, of some kind, when they go through a divorce or a bankruptcy or when they lose a job or suffer the loss of, of someone who is close to them, it's then that they are most receptive to, to faith in a loving God. And studies, we were told, confirm that this is true. And, and I think it makes sense, doesn't it? No one is, is surprised here when we are desperate and, and when we have run out of other options and when life as we have known it seems to be crumbling around us, it's then that we're open to just about anything. We're willing to think about God in a way that, that we were never willing before. And, and some people, as you know, need to become more desperate than others, but, but everyone, or almost everyone, needs to find a bottom or what feels like a bottom. I sometimes meet with people in my office, and, and this began well before I moved to Zurich, so don't think I'm talking about anyone here. And, and, and these people who made an appointment to, to speak with me would be struggling with something or other, and, and they would say to me, do you have a book that you would recommend? Or, or is there a talk I can listen to online, you know, a TED talk or, 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 or something? And in those situations, I've, I've never said this, and, and maybe I should, but I, I, I usually find myself thinking, you know, I, I wish that all problems in life could be solved by watching someone speak online. I, I, I wish your life could be turned around by reading just the right book, which I happen to have on the shelf behind me. But is that really how it happens? Is that really how God takes hold of us and, and, and puts the spirit of life within us? And, and changes us so that we become new creations altogether. We're always looking for an easy solution. Oh, we think, there must be something I haven't thought about. And if only I could put my hands on this one thing. If I could only spend an evening reading something I enjoy anyway, so it's not a hardship. 
Uh, if only I identify the right Christian counselor, then maybe I might be able to turn things around and get back on track and start living again. So the first thought when, when we hit bottom is to look for a shortcut. And, and, and today I feel sick and tired and, and, and desperate, but tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> maybe I can be back on top. Right? If only I could find the magic pill that will turn things around. I hate to tell you this, but there are no quick fixes, uh, no magic pills, and, and even the, the most skilled Christian counselors cannot put us back together again as quickly as we would like. Uh, even the most dramatic conversion stories that, that uh, I've ever heard uh, suggest that there's a, a long road to health and, and sobriety and growth and, and new life. One time at the church I served, uh, just before this one, I was meeting with a person in, in my office, and it was a lot like previous conversations. The person who came to see me was at bottom, and, and something had to happen, and, and, and suddenly I had an idea, and I said, let's go for a walk. And in my last church, my office was only a few steps from the sanctuary. So we headed over to this large, dark, uh, empty sanctuary, and uh, I have probably spent more time in large, dark, empty sanctuaries than uh, most people. Uh, so for most people, going in was a brand new experience. I mean, I've, I've spent my time in there praying and, and sitting and, and so on. But uh, we went in, and we stood at the, the front of the church at the communion table, uh, which, once again, is not something most people do. Uh, we, we never get all that close to the Holy of Holies. And anyway, I suggested to him that we pray. That we uh, offer this thing that was creating such chaos in his life to God. And as something about that setting, and it was the darkness and the holiness of it and the, the nearness of God, which seems more real to us in church sometimes than at home. Something about that setting provided the breakthrough. There were tears at first, and then there was laughter unexpectedly. There were unmistakable signs that something had happened in that moment. A page had been turned, and a new life had opened up. So I want to say to you today that in terms of the spiritual life, there's no high bottom. I wish I could make this easier for you. You know, if it were in my power, I would take away all of your pain right now, and I, I think you would take away all of mine if it were within our power to do that, but no human being can. Uh, to fully appreciate the first words of, of uh, Romans chapter 8, we need to recognize the gravity of our situation. Paul writes that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, I mean, truly some of the most beautiful, uh, inspiring, hopeful words in, that have ever been written. Right? But still you think, oh my, let's not be overly dramatic about this. No condemnation, that seems like a strong word, doesn't it? And, and, and yes, the truth of the matter is, condemnation is a very strong word, and it's courtroom language, of course, and and, and, and Paul often uses courtroom language in, in uh, this connection wherever he is talking about uh, our lives and what we deserve. 
And as far as Paul is concerned, our situation is precarious. And, and it's deserving of death. And as, as Nozick put it, we, we, we've lost our claim to continue. Things are worse than we are willing to admit. But then comes the, the good news, the, the extraordinary news contained in, in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So, so here's what that means, and, and this is what Paul wants us to understand. There, there, there's no longer anything we can do. There is no book you can read, and, and, and there's no Christian counselor you can talk to who has just the right uh, words and just the right combination of compassion and understanding. Your best efforts are not going to be enough. In fact, just the existence of the law, this is uh, Paul's astonishing uh, insight here, the, the very existence of the law, this notion that, well, maybe we could do it if we just worked hard enough, is going to crush you. Even if you try your best and, and read every self-help book you can find and, and watch every TED Talk that has ever been produced, you are lost. Right? Remember quicksand in old Tarzan movies and there's actually a very famous scene involving quicksand with, uh, uh, well, it's in Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, the more you struggle to, to free yourself, the, the more you sink uh, into the quicksand. To be honest, I don't even know if there is such a thing as quicksand. I'm tempted to think it's, uh, it's more of a myth than, than anything. I could be wrong. Uh, but the image from those old movies is burned into my memory. I mean, I, I think I've had nightmares as a child about quicksand. <laughs> So, your only hope, if somehow you find yourself in, in, in quicksand, your only hope is if someone reaches out a hand or, or, or throws a rope or somehow pulls you out. Because without help, you are going to go down. That's what Paul means to say to us. It, it, it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ, right, that has set you free from the quicksand and, and from the law of sin and death. If at some point in your life uh, uh, you were sinking and then you, you, you took that outstretched hand that was offered to you, the, the hand of a, a loving God, well, good for you. Let's, uh, let's remember that today and enjoy it and give thanks for it. Let's take time to be appreciative for this rescue that we have known. Right? Uh, but right, uh, if you are there right now, if you are at the bottom or, or, or close to it, if you have exhausted every possible idea that you've had about how to uh, save yourself, then I invite you to take the hand all right, that is stretched out to you. Uh, take it as you have never taken hold of anything in your life. And, and live. For the first time in days and weeks and months and maybe years. And begin to live and, and, and breathe and experience hope. This is the Spirit of Christ coming alive inside you, and there is nothing in all creation quite like it. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Spirit of Christ, come alive in us. Lead us out of the bottom where we have found ourselves. Help us lose this idea that, that we have what it takes and that we can find our own solution and, 
and that with hard work and perseverance and endurance, we can prevail. Rescue us, we pray, and, and, and set us on the path to life. We pray this in Jesus' name.